Hey, Bankless Nation, happy second week of October. David, what time is it? It's roll-up time, Ryan, where we roll up the whole entire week of news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we do it every single week here on the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up. Yeah, we've got some crazy headlines for you. One, Coinbase is rolling out an NFT program. What's mm. that about? We're going to get into the specifics. Also, Hester Purse, regulator who's been on Bankless before, just dropped a, a fire piece Absolutely loved it. We're going to get into the details of that. And there's also rumor this week that Biden is going to issue some kind of executive order, maybe for crypto, probably against crypto, possibly. We're going to dive into what that could possibly mean. It's a rumor now, but there's lots to dissect there. All of this and more, that's what you're getting on the weekly roll-up. But David, I got, I got to ask you before we dig in, man, how's your week going? I feel like we've had a great week. How, has that just been me or did we have a great week? I, I had a fantastic week. Uh, there's a podcast that I listen to called Yang Speaks. Uh, Andrew Yang shows up every now and then and it felt something similar like that this week, but it felt, <laughs> It was a different format. I was somehow involved with this one. I don't know. Yeah. Dude, guys, we got Andrew Yang on the podcast, is what David's saying. And it was a fantastic episode. We recorded this, I believe, on Tuesday. And, you know, we don't, I generally don't get nervous about doing podcasts anymore. But, like, you know, some, some guests who've never done before, I got a little bit nervous prior to that. Not, you know, I was a little bit nervous going into the Andrew Yang conversation, and uh, there was absolutely no reason to be. About like yeah. a minute in, it just felt like talking to uh, to to a regular person, yeah. and uh, we definitely had a great discussion with him. That podcast is now, by the way, isn't it out? It's out for it Bankless out. Premium subscribers. Yeah, if you pay for Bankless, if you pay for the newsletter, it is out on the private RSS feed, so it's on your phone. It's also the videos on YouTube as well, so you can go watch that right now. Uh, and he dropped a fire line, which here it is. What is there for you know uh, the crypto community in the forward party? I want to make the forward party the crypto party, truly. That is awesome, guys. And that is just a taste of what you are about to listen to with Andrew Yang when you get that podcast beamed into your ears. So we're excited to release that. We're also excited about the Permissionless Conference, David. So a new tranche of tickets just went on sale. If you recall, we talked about this on the roll-ups every two weeks. A new tranche of tickets sell for Permissionless. This is going to be the largest DeFi conference I think that's ever been thrown. And you still have a little bit of time because it's not until 2020. Uh, too, but you also don't have time because these tranches sell out fast and every single tranche, the price goes up. I think the price is now up to like $364, something like that. Number it started, go up. It started at $15, guys. Yeah. All right. So every two weeks, this thing is increasing. And mm -hmm. if you don't do it now fast, probably as you're listening to it, probably this morning, tickets will sell out. Mm -hmm. So if you want to come to that conference, David and I are going to be there. More than that, we're actually helping to plan the entire agenda for the event, covering DeFi covering the metaverse, we're covering regulatory landscape. It's going to be hot. A bunch of speakers have been listed, have been named, but we have a lot more to come as well. So make sure you pick up your ticket. If you are a Bankless Premium subscriber, you also get 30% off of that ticket. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Another perk of going Bankless Premium. It's been a ton of fun working with the Blockworks team to organize 
organize this and we are trying to make this the cultural event of 2020. The crypto, uh, if you have ever gone to a crypto event before, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you should definitely experience it. But these events are festivals. They aren't conferences. They're closer to something like festivals. And so uh, not only is there going to be the conference, but there's going to be a bunch of satellite after parties. Uh, we are going to throw an after party. Uh, and that is going to be uh, a, a ton of fun. Uh, and also, um, we are looking for specifically DeFi apps and DAOs to help sponsor the event. We are holding back the floodgates of the CFI companies and the centralized exchanges of the world to get their sponsorship slots. They all, they all want them. Uh, but DeFi companies, DeFi teams, DAOs, they haven't had this opportunity uh, previously with uh, able to uh, sponsor events. So if you are a DAO, be on the lookout for governance proposals in your governance forums about perhaps sponsoring the event. So stay on, on the lookout for that because we want DAOs and DeFi teams, DeFi native teams to help sponsor this event and push them before all the CFI teams come and eat it all. Also, last thing guys, before we get into the meet today, our, our friends, the sponsor are Pool Together. They are back and they've just released the fourth version of their product, the fourth version, the best version of their product. Pool Together is a no loss lottery, guys. It's one of the first DeFi apps to go tell your friends about because it's super easy. Like look at this interface, incredibly easy to just join a pool. And the best thing about it is when you join a pool, like you can win the lottery. David. I have won the lottery before, okay? Yeah? I've won a pool together lottery. Nice. You know, not a lot of money, but I won something and it feels good to win. All you have to do is put money USDC, for example, into the pools and pool together takes care of the rest. It incentivizes you to save. So it gives you a prize based on that. Um, there are some pool tokens that you can earn as well as yield. And their version four is really hot because there's now more prizes than ever. They're also releasing about a million dollars worth of additional prizes. And you can do this all on layer two with near zero gas fees, transaction fees. And what they've done is they've combined the pools across like Polygon and Ethereum mainnet. So if you deposit on Polygon, it's the same as depositing on mainnet now. That is all new in version four. So really hot, we're really excited to introduce pool together to you guys and their fourth and greatest version. And uh, important to know that when you win the lottery, you also get the cost of the ticket back. So there's actually <laughs> a, right. a very important point is that you aren't actually you're risking. Not spending. And you're not spending your money. You're not spending your USDC. Uh, you are getting, you putting your money into a pool with a chance to win, but you can always get your money back out. That's why pool together is so cool. That's the no loss part, guys. So if you want to check that out, go to bankless.cc slash pool together and uh, you'll learn more about that. All right, David, you ready to do this, man? It's market time. Market time. Yeah, that's a fun, fun day to talk about the markets. It is a fun day to talk about the markets. Okay, let's let's talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin cre crept up to all-time highs, close to all-time highs this week. Mm -hmm. Am I right about that? Yeah, pretty pretty crazy, right? Started the week at $53,700, which was also the low for the week. And then it crept up to the high of $58,500, where the all-time high, I think, is a little bit over $60,000. Uh, and then we are currently at $57,000. $220 overall up 4% on the week. A nice week for Bitcoin. How about Ether? Ether was lagging at first, but it seemed to have gained some ground over the last like 
day over the last yeah. 24 hours or so yeah. at the time of recording because just in this. time to get into the weekly roll <laughs> yeah, up yeah. It, it knew we were going to talk about this you know mm-hmm. so it's it's pumping for us so where did it start where did it end yeah started the week at three thousand four hundred thirty dollars which was also the low for the week and then it is at currently at its high for the week which is at three thousand seven hundred and eighty seven dollars we did touch uh, a little bit right over three thousand eight hundred just a moment ago but that's where we are right now one of those up 10% days. You got to appreciate that in crypto. Um, also, how are we doing on the ratio? So this is the Ether to Bitcoin mm-hmm. ratio. Always tells us a story. What's it telling us this week? Yeah, painting a higher low over last week. The low for the last week was 0.06-ish. And we are currently clocking in at 0.066. Uh, and so, again, still in that range-bound area that we've been in for the past like half a year now. Um, but like I've been saying, a, a pretty high in the grand scheme of things versus Bitcoin. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know. Still, the the rumor of a Bitcoin ETF continues to heat up. Mm-hmm. You know, people are saying October still might be the month for this. There's rumors of that. I'm not sure what I think yet, but um, that's why Bitcoin it seems to have have led so much. You have to yeah. wonder what's going to happen to this ratio if Bitcoin comes out with a powerhouse mm-hmm. ETF. Will that leave every other asset in the dust and take all of the energy out of the the other crypto asset markets? Yeah, fu- funny story. I, uh, I'm in a just a group chat with all my friends from college, and I t- uh, DM them I was like, guys, I think the Bitcoin ETF might be approved in October, so I'm gonna go long right now. And then they're like, you're gonna buy Bitcoin? I'm like, no, I'm gonna buy ETH. <laughs> Because so if Bitcoin he, gets the ETF, like ETH is also going to pump. Yeah, and it just it just might take some time. So I wonder mm-hmm. if that happens. You think that happens immediately, or do you think there'll be some sort of delayed effect where Bitcoin has its run and then that cycles back into Ether, and we get the you know same thing we've seen hundreds right. of times already. Yeah, I think if Bitcoin gets the, the ETF, it'll have something like a fifteen percent pump day. ETH will have maybe ten percent. It'll definitely lag behind. But I think then right after the Bitcoin ETF, people then speculate, it's like, well, why not the Ether ETF? And so the Ether ETF won't be far behind. Well, if uh, the SEC is flirting with ETF approval, which I hope they are, mm-hmm. total locked value in DeFi is also flirting with $100 billion locked. We're at $95 billion. So we can't yet celebrate, David. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be like any time now, anytime, right? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. give it a day. Yep. And uh, that $100 billion mark might be reached. So close to all-time highs on that. Anything else to say? God, if we have, if, if I see a nine at this number this time next week in the roll-up, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. <laughs> Deserves to be higher. DeFi Mm -hmm. Pulse Index. How are DeFi tokens holding up? And Mm -hmm. this is, of course, are the top weighted DeFi tokens by market cap. Those that have been around for six months or larger, longer. There's some other criteria that go into this. How are we looking on the week? Yeah, started the week at $336 for the DPI, hit a low of 305, hit a high of 352, and we are currently clocking in at $337. Overall up half a percent on the week. DeFi tokens just cannot catch a bid, man. Do you know what's interesting though? Because there's this whole narrative of like DeFi 2.0, right? We, yeah. we talked about it this week in our, our Tuesday State of the Nation mm-hmm. with um, Jay from Rari Capital. Mm-hmm. This this whole concept of DeFi 2.0 or ZoomerFi. Some people mm-hmm. say this is just a new packaging for a narrative for mm-hmm. a new set of protocols and it's just nothing more than narrative. You know, this is just sort of an evolution. Others say, like Jay was making the case, no, this is, we're re. DeFi 2.0 reevaluates uh, token economics mm-hmm. and puts on the accelerator on some growth things that the old older DeFi 
has not. What's your take on this? Because DeFi 2.0 tokens, called the Rari Capitals of the World or the OHMs, they are not captured well in the DeFi Pulse Index, and they have been absolutely flying lately. Uh, do you think this DeFi 2.0 narrative is a thing and a thing that's important and lasting? I do think it's a thing. And actually, there's some bits of content that's coming down the pipeline to unpack what this hell the two, this DeFi 2.0 thing is. I had an hour-long conversation with uh, Scoopy Truples from Alchemix, who talked about um, this new primitive for yield farming that doesn't uh, create toxic liquidity of people that just farm your token to death and then move on to a new farm. Instead, there is a new primitive, a new yield farming primitive, which is being spun up by Olympus Dow, who we're having on the State of the Nation on Tuesday, Zeus from Olympus Dow, to talk about this new primitive, which is being spun out out of Olympus Pro. Uh, so Alchemix is changing its yield farm primitive to this new mechanism. Uh, and I talked about that with Scoopy. And so that show should be up on the YouTube sometime soon-ish, I think this weekend, perhaps tomorrow. Uh, and then we're going to unpack the whole entire thing with Zeus from Olympus Pro on the Tuesday State of the Nation. So tune into that. We are digging into this DeFi 2.0 thing. So yeah, stay tuned to that if you want to make up your own mind and whether this is a thing or not. Uh, let's check out the the DPI <laughs> index versus no, let's ETH. let's skip it, skip it, skip it. <laughs> can't skip it. We're below oh. 0 0.09 now, David. Oh, God. What are we looking at this week? Uh, oh, God, yeah, 0 0.089, just a straight linear chart downwards. Like Sad. Again, can't catch a bit, at least versus Ether. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't have to belabor that point. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the bankless bed index. That mm -hmm. is up on the week, I believe. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what's uh, where'd we start? Where'd we end? Started at $153, hit a low of $143, hit a high of $167, which is roughly where we currently are right now. Overall, up 5% on the week. So global crypto markets at in, in medium, at in mean average of 5% on the week. Got Never. it. Got yeah. it. Got it in the end. La la layer to beat.com. That's where we see this is kind of the, the new total locked value. This is the new DeFi pulse in some ways. At least this metric mm -hmm. is going to be su super important. It's at all time highs. Mm -hmm. There's over $3 billion locked in layer two. So we're not talking about side chains. We're talking about layer twos that are actually secured by the Ethereum network. Now at all time highs. It's pretty phenomenal. Great news. Yeah, uh, and I think this chart is just going to continue marching up and to the right. It's Arbitrum. Uh, it's DYDX. Nice. These are the overperformers. Yep. Um, Optimism hanging in there, but uh, Arbitrum DYDX just crushing it recently with, with some of those numbers. So it's great to see. Um, David, let's talk a little bit about burn numbers, EIP 1559, because we just hit an important threshold. That is 500,000 ETH. Not $500,000 worth of ETH, 500,000 ETH, it's billions of dollars worth of ETH, have now been burnt, okay? We are just over two months into this thing, and we're talking about like half a percent mm -hmm. of the entirety of the ETH supply. So listen to that again. Two months into EIP 1559, and we burnt just about half of all the ETH supply in existence already. Mm -hmm. What does that make you think? Uh, bullish? I mean, that's only, <laughs> there's only one answer. Like, we're not even at proof of stake yet. Right? Like, man, we're burning way more ETH than we ever thought we would. Uh, and we're still in our proof of work form, which is issuing a ton. Uh, and and oh, it's absolutely insane. And, like, I, I, we've been of, a, of the opinions that, like, gas fees on the Ethereum L1 are kind of, like, always up. Like, it's always going to trend upwards over time. 
Uh, and so like we are only going to burn more and more ETH. So congratulations to Ethereum. Wow, that we crossed 500,000 Ether this week. We're at 531,000 Ether. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just ETH burns every day. ETH burns ETH every day, right? Like I, I feel like people need a reminder of this, David, mm -hmm. right? Because like we're in crypto so often we want to chase narratives. We're just like, oh, what's the new bright, sh like shiny thing? Uh, DeFi 2.0? Oh, okay. It's uh, ETH killer. Which ETH killer this week? Where's the hottest yield farm? And that's cool. If you have time for that, mm -hmm. like go do it, go pursue it, go try to make money that way. But in the background, what's happening with these core reserve assets, what's happening with Ether is it's just continuing to burn ETH according to usage. And it mm -hmm. keeps getting used more and more and more. And you know I had to fit this meme in, David, because I like this meme. <laughs> I was going to fit it somewhere. <laughs> well, my eyes went to the alpha that's in your DMs right now. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Let me just close that real quick. <laughs> I love that you waited until we were done to say that. Yeah, you know, got some alpha. That's only for YouTube viewers, though. People in the podcast are going yeah. like, what? What's what just on? happened? Yeah, well, they also weren't able to look at the meme either, so... <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. Well, let's explain the meme. It's good guy, mm -hmm. Greg. Okay. Right. People don't remember this classic meme, but it's good guy, Greg. Mm -hmm. And he's taking your uh, ETH for gas. Mm -hmm. But then what's he doing? He's a good guy. He's yeah. burning it. Yep. Get, giving it, guy, giving it back in a roundabout way. All right, David, this was an interesting report still in the market section, of course, a uh, report from CoinShares. And they asked the question of a whole bunch of fund managers. So I, I'm not sure how much uh, money these folks managed. Uh, $400 billion. Okay. You know, respectable. $400 uh -huh. billion. Dollars. Nice. Which digital asset do you believe has the most compelling outlook? This is based in a September 2021 study. Uh, number one, Ethereum over 40%. Number two, a distant number two, right. Bitcoin, under 20%. And then we have multi-asset, which I don't know. And then what surprises me is like 12% Cardano. Yeah, okay. see like, well, while this, <laughs> this there's percentage, while it's this great, it's a great number, 40%, like it believes for Ethereum is gonna be the, the most growing platform. It just really just like takes the wind out of the sails when you see Cardano <laughs> clucking in at 10%. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a, there's always some core fund managers who just have no idea what they're doing. But right. <laughs> here's one of the takeaways is, what would this graph have looked like a year ago at this time, David? Right. Yeah. What do you think yeah. it would have looked like? Oh, well, it was in the middle of DeFi summer a year ago. So maybe you it should It was be not ETH summer, though. Do you remember at the time, right, like, uh, sure. even Three Arrows Capital were like, DeFi is great. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. ETH so sucks. It's, it's talking about the asset. Everything's going to Bitcoin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we are right. talking about ETH the asset, and I think the, the script and the narrative has completely changed over the last mm -hmm. 12 months, particularly with institutional funds, mm -hmm. right? ETH is now an institutional grade right. um, asset. I was, mm -hmm. I was thinking about Bitcoin and ETH. They're now in, in part of the same sentence. Yeah. Uh, every time when you see it listed, some investors is buying it. And that's a total change yeah. from where things were 12 months ago. Hey, sometimes it's just Ethereum. There, there's plenty of instances I see where it's just like people, I, I think Ethereum's really awesome. And that's the full stop. Yeah, full stop. How many Paradigm. people own crypto? I don't know if you've looked at this article yet, David, but I have, but I'm going to, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to get your guess. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the total population that owns crypto worldwide right now? Um, if over you can see that, close your eyes. Over 300 million. <laughs> Did you just read that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. What percentage in America? Because you can't see that. Uh, what percentage of America? Yeah. 10%. 10%. Yeah. About right. Nice. Uh, the numbers out now, you know, different 
different groups have different numbers. I've seen the numbers for America at about 12%. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this is is sort of uh, ranks it by by country, Mm -hmm. right? So 300 million people worldwide, 10% of all Americans own it. Say it's, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15% or so. Um, Look at all of the people in India who are crypto users. Wow. Do that sort. 100 100 million people in India. That's great. Like, where's Bankless India, David? Yeah. We've been oh, missing th- something. Th- that exists. Bankless India exists. Huh? It does? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Who does that? I think uh, at least it's an Instagram account, Bankless India. Pretty sure. We, we didn't even know. I mean, I like yeah. stuff, stuff like this pops up and happens and can happen without us, which is absolutely awesome. But I'm just saying, global movement, it's incredible to see the adoption. And across all countries, we're hovering at about 10%, which is really good. When we get yeah. to 20%, when we get to 30%, right? These are population sizes that uh, governments and popu- and, and you know th- those in power can no longer ignore because then to ban crypto or do something against crypto you're actually like you're uh, impacting the lives of millions mm-hmm. of your citizens and potentially in India's case hundreds of millions of your citizens yeah I would like to know how much of these percentages are people that own Bitcoin and ether versus what I would call fake crypto but I'll leave that topic for a different day well we don't know you know crypto put it in a big uh, bucket there. Um, ETH held by miners, David, this is an interesting chart. Do you want to explain this? Yeah. So this is a chart saying they're looking at the supply of ether held by uh, known miner wallets. And ever since July of 2020, so a little over a year ago, it has been on a very steep incline. So it started uh, in July, 2020 at 8 million ether held by miners. And now is basically climbed in a relatively linear fashion all the way up to 22 million. That's a really high number, especially for when the total supply of ether is like 120 million. So there might be some interesting ways that um, CoinMetrics figured these numbers out. Uh, they might be inflated, but overall directionally, I think is really what is the important takeaway here is miners are stacking ETH, which makes sense because they all know the, the, uh, the merge is coming and mining will be defunct at some point. And so they need to retain their business. And how do they do that? Well, they stack as much ETH as possible. So when it comes time for proof of stake, they can just stake their ETH and go from a miner to a staker and actually not have to lose their business. Uh, this makes a ton of sense to me. This is another reason why I've always thought the, uh, the the argument that, hey, miners, when you switch to proof of work, miners will just fork. Right. Well, no, they won't. Like, mm-hmm. they've known that this is coming and many of them are highly invested in proof of stake at this point, right? They've been, they've been hodling their ETH for the day when it switches to proof of stake. And it looks like they're continuing to buy, continuing to hold their ETH for that eventuality. So they are part of the new community, the new staking community, they'll just, some of them will be stakers rather than miners, of course. Um, David, can you explain this one from Justin Drake? Always throwing out the ultrasound stuff. What's he showing us this time? Yeah, yeah. so this is a distribution of the average gas price um, for in, inside of a blocks. And so that the blue line is the average gas price. Um, the red dash line on the left is the ultrasound barrier, as in uh, how much uh, gas prices need to sustain in order to be ultrasound money uh, during proof of stake, once we are at proof of stake. So gas, if gas is higher than 27 guay, we are burning more ether than we are issuing. Currently, the average gas price for Ethereum is 77 guay. And so Justin Drake's math is that we are at Mach 2.8, as in we are burning 2.8 uh, amount of uh, times the amount of Ether that we are issuing when we are under proof of stake. So fun little graph right there. So what that means is once the transition to proof of stake happens, once the merge happens, likely early next year, maybe mm-hmm. you know partially slipping into the second quarter of next year, anytime gas, Gwei prices above 27% 
ETH is 20. deflationary or yeah. 27 Gwei, excuse me. Right. ETH is deflationary. Is I haven't seen ETH at below 27 Gwei in like a year. Right? <laughs> it's been Those so long. Those were the long. days. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not going to drop either because, mm-hmm. you know, roll-ups are going to consume it. Uh, right. Obviously we've had other, you know, NFT boom, all sorts of things will continue to consume. It's not going down. Oh. Um, that's for sure. All right, David, uh, that has been the market section. Guys, we will be back with news. We will be back with releases, meme of the week, all the stuff that you cannot miss. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DeFi apps all in one spot, Ledger Live is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy your crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into all of the DeFi apps and services that you're used to. Using Ledger Live, you can stake your ETH in Lido, swap on DEXs like Paraswap, or display your NFTs with Rainbow. You can also use Wallet Connect inside of Ledger Live to connect to all the other DeFi apps that keep coming online. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all of the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your DeFi apps all in one space. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi. And now it's live with over a hundred projects deployed. Gas fees on the Ethereum L1 sucks. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. And that's why teams like Arbitrum have been hard at work developing layer two solutions that makes transactions on Ethereum cheap and instant. Arbitrum increases Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. That's why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Many DeFi applications that are on the Ethereum layer one are migrating over to layer twos like Arbitrum, and some are even skipping over layer ones and deploying directly on layer twos. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so go to bridge.arbitrum.io and start bridging over your Ether or any of the tokens listed and start having a DeFi experience that you've always wanted. All right, guys, we are back to tell you about the hot releases of the week. David, let's start here. NFT avatar support on ENS profiles. ENS, of course, is like the domain name for Ethereum. Lots of people have .eth addresses. Now they've added NFT avatar support. What's that mean? Yeah, so um, you know those whole like generative little icons in MetaMask for your wallet just to let you know, like putting a little color or image so you know what wallet is what. Um, ENS is allowing you to put in a link to a file so that you can have a file represented as that little like icon of what your wallet is. Uh, and so if when you type in an Ethereum address, uh, a nice little icon can show up on uh, wallets that support this. So that's pretty cool. 
This is why I think, um, you know, uh, profile NFTs are not going anywhere and they're only going to get stronger because we're going to find all of these new use cases for them because people want them everywhere. If you bought one, you want it everywhere, right? You might even put it on the wall behind you as you're recording a podcast. Oh, that'd be weird. <laughs> yeah, that'd be weird. Never that'd be do weird. that. <laughs> um, let's talk about this. Flashbots protect. Someone's going to protect us from the sinister MEV that is mm-hmm. front running from miners and other entities. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, if you have ever logged on to a different EVM network via MetaMask, like by dragging and doing the whole drop down pointing to Polygon or Arbitrum or a testnet, this is one of those. It's an RPC endpoint and a few other things as well, but I feel like the, the most relevant thing is the RPC endpoint. So you can select a different RP, an RPC endpoint, and so it'll be routed towards this whole uh, flat spots, Flashbots Protect product, which will allow your transaction to be protected from some of the monsters that lurk in the mempool. Um, and so that's pretty neat. Uh, there are This is new, uh, so definitely do some research before you do this, uh, and kind of do what I do, which is I just wait for other people to do it first. Um, uh, but overall, there's a, there's also a few other things as well, such as an API that developers can integrate into their applications to have this same sort of service. Um, so if you want to learn more, check the link in the show notes. That's a pretty good resource, though, and you know, may try it sometime. And uh, and but yeah, I, like you, I'm kind of waiting for it to cook a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of cooking, Starkware has been cooking some things up. Starknet <laughs> Alpha is coming to mainnet. You like that segue, David? <laughs> um, so. What this basically is, is kind of a, a holy grail that crypto has been waiting for and hoping for for a while, at least, especially the layer two community. And that is the ability to have general purpose smart contracts on a layer two. And this is a ZK rollup layer two. And Starkware says they are shipping this in November. Okay. They got alpha now. When they ship it, my understanding, David, is it's going to be kind of a permissioned type of shipment. So similar to the the roll up of uh, the rollout of Optimism, mm-hmm. where it wasn't like everyone's here, and you know it's just kind of an application at a time. But still, this is earlier than I thought, mm-hmm. and we are going to have the the Starkware folks on sometime in November to explain this in further detail. But I think that's what we're looking at here is the potential for smart contracts on a zk rollup layer two. I don't think it's going to be super seamless, like drag your uh, app from mainnet into into Starkware and it just kind of works like that. Won't quite be like that, is my impression. But um, the fact that we are this close to this functionality is, is super exciting to me. Yeah, and we're actually going to be able to see how easy it is for developers to get their application on a ZK rollup, which is um, a little bit more involved than uh, an optimistic rollup. Um, so that will be uh, an interesting thing to watch, and we Absolutely. will definitely watch it. And look, hey, man, the tech the tech is out there. It's already working. Starkware tech is what powers um, DYDX, DYDX yep. for instance, right? Um, many other exchanges as well in this space. Okay. Arbitrum is dialing it up as well. I, I feel like this GIF kind of summarizes, <laughs> you know, this is like this guy in a race car and he's, you know, he, he, he's got wind resistance and his cheeks are flying back. And it says, my transactions after the Arbitrum Nitro upgrade. I think this upgrade, what it's going to do is just like, drastically improve um, you know, transaction speeds, transaction times, transaction volumes, and decrease prices on Arbitrum. Is that what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly right. They are just upping the juice with Arbitrum. Uh, and th- th- that's the cool thing about these uh, layer two rollups is they actually come on to Ethereum 
and they have their uh, their own, in addition to already being scaling of Ethereum, they have their own scaling roadmap in addition to that. So layer twos only scale even more. That's not here yet and TBD on when that date is, but look forward to Arbitrum Nitro when that, uh, when that comes. Also, David, this is kind of cool. Tell us what this is. Is this some kind of a new DeFi wallet? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a perhaps a MetaMask competitor or overall just a new wallet plus ecosystem, uh, a wallet ecosystem called XDeFi, uh, which is now claiming to be the fastest wallet in DeFi. Uh, I've been having a ton of like trouble with my, my MetaMask lately, so I could definitely use some uh, alternatives. There, there were some uh, grumblings in the greater community about how this uh, wallet is not, um, they, their code hasn't been open sourced, uh, which is kind of against the ethos and makes it hard to verify what it's actually going on under the hood, but the team said that they will be ultimately releasing their code to be open source in the future, just not yet. Overall, uh, if anyone has tried this out, uh, ping us at Bankless and let us know. Yeah, more more wallets, you know, all the better. I, I do think our existing wallet ecosystem could use some improvements, some user interface improvement. Um, yeah, I, I know some of the troubles with MetaMask have been like browser related as well, which has been somewhat frustrating. Like, you know, Chrome changes a few things and then you lose support in Chrome. Like mm -hmm. I've had to use MetaMask with, uh, with Firefox for a while now, but um, so much work could be done to smooth out the wallet experience across yeah. the space. So it's, it's glad someone else is joining the fray here. Um, also another options DeFi protocol joining the fray. What's this, David? Yeah, Pods, Pods Finance on Twitter says, we are thrilled to announce the release of Pods on the Ethereum mainnet. So Pods is an on-chain options protocol to, that aims to bootstrap markets for any ERC-20 token using an algorithmic pricing and specific options AMM. Basically, you can buy and sell puts, uh, and you can also uh, use Pods for uh, yield. You can actually uh, provide liquidity and get some yield. Uh, and that is now live on the layer one, which is interesting. I kind of would expect something like this to be to kind of deploy it on layer two first, um, but uh, here it is on, on layer one. So check that out at app.pods.finance. Pause for puts, guys. There you go. Oh, nice. Klima <laughs> nice. Uh It's going mainnet. When's that <laughs> happening? Going on Polygon, yeah. KlimaDAO and the Klima token go live on the Polygon mainnet on October 18th. That's this coming Monday. Uh, and so you can check out the announcement post for details. We did a Meet the Nation with KlimaDAO. They're basically a fork off of Olympus DAO, but focusing on having uh, carbon credits as their uh, collateral. Uh, and so trying to sequester carbon using DeFi, so a very noble cause. Uh, and so if you want to find out more, there's a link in the show notes. Why is this DeFi 2.0, sir? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I, I think no, it is. I have no clue. <laughs> Maybe we don't know what DeFi 2.0 is yet. I don't think yet, <laughs> and We're in the process of discovering it. Uh, Binance Chain is not DeFi 2.0, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I do know that. Um, but they have just, Binance has just launched a $1 billion, that's billion, B, billion with a B, mm -hmm. growth fund for Binance Smart Chain. And this just reminds me that... Um, the, tr the treasuries and the war chests are very, very deep when it comes to the crypto banks, particularly when they are trying to um, make their way into DeFi. Mm -hmm. And they are definitely not going anywhere. Binance Chain is not going anywhere, not because it's decentralized, but because it has the support of CZ and Binance behind it. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this, David? Yeah, they're just like brute forcing the DeFi side of Binance Smart Chain. Like, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Ultimately, they're just innovating on the EVM. So all, it, all, the, all the value ultimately flows back to Ethereum. 
yeah, hopefully some value will be produced here and it'll be a good thing. I don't hate it. I just don't love it. I do hate calling it DeFi though. And this like bastardization of the term like CDFi just uh, really annoys me. But it's a large ecosystem. And if you don't like it, just ignore it. Don't use it. Last release of the week, Optimism has just updated their website and showcasing really all of the cool things they're doing. This is the optimistic roll-up on Ethereum called Optimism. David, what's uh, what are we looking at here? Yeah, they just have a little like a scroller carousel of all of the applications that are you can play with on Optimism. So it's going to be fun watching this number grow. Quenta, I think, is the newest one as well. Uh, I did a Meet the Nation with Quenta, which should be up on the YouTube uh, right now uh, to let you know that Quenta is actually doing its own thing out of synthetics. Uh, and so that is worth watching as well. And they are on Optimism. Uh, and that's that's the news. Uniswap, Synthetics, uh, Lyra, Rubicon, Quenta, and One Inch. One Inch is a recent one as well. Very cool to see that growth. Uh, raise time. Consensus is raising. So these are the makers of uh, MetaMask and many other tools. Uh, they're kind of OGs in Ethereum. They're raising $65 million, I believe, mm-hmm. um, at a $3 billion valuation. So a big raise for them, big valuation for Consensus. Um, I guess good to see more money coming to the space. I I wonder how much this $3 billion valuation rides on the back of MetaMask just absolutely printing money with their swap feature Look at uh, this. because they are just co- like raking it in with that one application, right? Uh, there's definitely other applications that are definitely making a lot of profit for consensus, but like they, they while the consensus kind of was critiqued with like spinning out a thousand projects all at once, uh, like, and then five of them being successful, those five have been really really successful. Uh, so congratulations to everyone at Consensus on that $3 billion valuation. Well, yeah, it's it's like the, the baby turtles, you know, rushing towards mm-hmm. the sea before they get eaten by the birds, right? You know, it's, you, you have tons of tons of turtles. So hopefully some of them right. will make it to the sea and some of them will survive. That's sort of consensus strategy. Look, also, if, you, if you want to go long on MetaMask, a speculation that there's going to be a token, which there's not yet, but the the uh, native swap feature for MetaMask is an on-chain footprint that MetaMask can find its users by. So if you want to speculate on whether or not there will be a MetaMask token, go use the swap feature. I want to speculate on that, David. Nine billion in trades through MetaMask, which is absolutely blew me away that that feature would be so popular as well, as you said. I used to use Matcha and I love Matcha and I use Matcha all the time, but I've been using the MetaMask swap feature just on the speculation. Have you really? Yeah. mm -hmm. It's just quicker, more convenient? No, no. It's basically the same. Same price? Same engine. I I kind of actually prefer the Matcha UI and the engine. They have more features, but if there's a token at the end of my MetaMask swap, I want (laughs) service area to that. So I've I've been swapping with MetaMask. We don't know that, to be fair, but yeah. We do not know that. Yeah, high contender. Another big raise this week, Gelato just raised $240 million dollars. Uh, led so, by Insight Partners, it's a lot of money. Number. What are they doing? Big number, yeah. Gelato is smart contract automation. As a non-developer, this has been kind of confusing for me, but basically there are some smart contracts that need to be poked or interacted with in order to make them execute, and Gelato's doing smart contract automation. Kind of feels like smart contracts for smart contracts. Um, if I was a developer, I wouldn't be able to explain this a little bit better, but I'm not, so... I, the way I think of it, I have no idea if this is if this is right or not. Is like an if if this then that sort of system for smart contracts. You kind of wire these smart contracts together, but do not know. It's a lot of money. They're doing something big here. We'll uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, congrats. Paradigm just raised one point five billion dollars too. We've had people from Paradigm on a number of times. Really smart investment shop. Um, I think one of my favorite yep. VC shops in the space. They mm-hmm. they 
just from a thinking perspective and the value that they add their portfolio, um, $1.5 billion, okay? This is in the back, do you remember, was the A16Z in their crypto fund? They just raised $2 billion, $2.5 billion, something like that, okay? Mm. So much private money, venture capital is going into crypto at this point in time. So people are looking at like the private market for these deals, like the private market is absolutely crazy. Like mm. buying, some of these uh, investments before you know they tokenize or before they go public, uh, the valuations are sky high. It's because all of this money is pouring in. Anything else, David? Yeah, the great thing about Paradigm is that they use this money to fix some of the most core fundamental problems about this industry. They, uh, you know, Dan Robinson apparently built Uniswap V3 himself. I don't know if that's true, uh, but they are also <laughs> working to solve MEV. Uh, and some of these just core hard problems. So when I see a $1.5 billion going into Paradigm, I see $1.5 billion of like just problem solving in DeFi. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Who else do they have, David? Um, uh, savior of DeFi, um, White Hat. Oh, Sam, uh, Sam Z Sun. Yep. Sam Z Sun, of yeah, course. Yeah. He works at put, Paradigm as well. Put money into, into him, man. Him yeah. alone. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like, you know, that's wor worth a third at least, $500 million in terms of protection <laughs> for DeFi. <laughs> Um, all right, let's talk about this. Merit Circle, they just mm -hmm. uh, announced the closure of a seed raise round of $4.5 million. So this reminds me sort of of like YGG, sort of one of those gaming guild type of concepts. So I think they uh, provide scholarships to maybe many Axie Infinity gamers. So this is another play on crypto gaming. I think we'll see a lot more in that space to come too. Um, this next one, David, MoonPay. This is a crypto payment startup. They're just valued at $3.4 billion. And this is after their first funding round. So you guys said these private valuations are getting absolutely nuts. insane. Absolutely if, you, if you think coin market cap is crazy, right? And you know the top 20 list, the private valuations are, are getting similar. This is a $400 million round. And I think what they're doing is, um, is this sort of similar to um, Ramp? We were talking about their raise last week. Yeah, Something like I, that. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Fiat um, on ramp to mm -hmm. crypto. Yep. Uh, which I mean, it's it's important. Is it three point four billion dollars? I I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure you know somebody has thought that through, right, David? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely. The, the market would never be irrational. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Zora is its centralized open marketplace. So I I think of this as maybe a bit more of a decentralized open sea, although. Mm -hmm. What does decentralized even mean in this case? Right. But uh, one thing that they're doing is 0% fees on all of the NFTs that they sell inside of their marketplace. And it is entirely permissionless and also on chain. Zora says it's how marketplaces should be. But that 0% uh, fees thing is, is certainly very interesting and very attractive. So this is maybe a bit more of an open system. Um, pushing against OpenSea's massive dominant market share. And I am happy to see more competition in the space. The thing Zora did recently is they only used to have these Zora items, right? Things that were launched inside of Zora. And now more recently, they've added the ability to add all of these other collections like art blocks and, you know, everything from super rares and me bits and board apes and everything else that you find. And you could purchase it without a commission fee. So seems interesting. OpenSea is a great platform, have nothing against them, except for the fact that there's only one of them. Uh, so <laughs> having Zora open up this world into having some competition, uh, and it's actually not the only one this week. We'll be talking about another one here shortly. Uh, but yeah, congratulations uh, to Zora.
Let's also talk about uh, TradingView, David. Um, yeah. That's a charting platform. I know like you're a, you're a power user, right? You do your t- TA, you do your triangles. <laughs> oh, I've yeah. seen you from time to time. Draw some shapes here and there, you know, connect yeah, some dots. Yeah, I've seen your shapes. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It yeah is, right. it's looking great. So yeah. uh, they just raised mm-hmm. $298 million at a $3 billion valuation. I guess everybody's the unicorn now. Right. Who cares about <laughs> unicorns? Remember that? Right. Remember unicorns? That was a big deal. What's a billion, a billion dollars anymore? <laughs> What's a billion dollars? Another billion. Uh, anyway, this is kind of cool. I guess this is all about amateur traders. You know, the amateurs bit, yeah. are becoming the professionals, I think. Yeah. And TradingView has an increasingly high, higher and higher percentage of people that are looking at crypto stuff. Um, and yeah. so they've been pushing up the crypto to the front, you know, more and more to the front of their offering. And so uh, TradingView is kind of just becoming like crypto view. <laughs> trading view equals crypto view because you're doing all your trading in crypto these yep. days if you're anything like us <laughs> if you're also like us you probably want a job in crypto this get is a your weekly reminder weekly reminder tell them get a job get a job get a in job. crypto it's better whatever i'm sure your job is great but your future crypto job will be a lot better uh it's just the, the vibes are better the work culture is better you probably get to work at home you probably get tokens depending on what job you, you apply for uh and so go to pallet.xyz slash list slash bankless slash jobs or go to the link in the show notes to go get a job jo- ryan what are some of the jobs that we got on the board today uh, we got a cto on the board today Woo! from e uh our our gronom er gronom er gronom sorry er gronom that is just difficult for me to say cto role though that's a premium role right there <laughs> general counsel at smart defi also finance and operations senior backend developer at smart defi you could be a technical CTO for six months at Merit. You could be a community manager at Argon. You could be a founding blockchain engineer, a founding one at that at Highlight. Senior software engineer, popcorn, community lead, popcorn, senior front end web developer. Here's what crypto needs, okay? It needs developers and it needs community builders. Those two skills, it also needs, by the way, like managers, you know, operators, project managers. That's what you see represented on the bank list job board. And these skills are probably skills that many of our listeners have. You know, I know we have developers listening to this. Mm -hmm. I know we have people who are highly organized, ability to put together projects. Um, They're looking for people who, quite frankly, listen to bank lists, David. I've heard people like in job interviews, this has come up like, what do you read about crypto? How much do you know? What information do you consume? And when you tell them bankless, it's going to get you positive marks. So you're already doing part of this by listening to bankless right now. So why not take the next step and see what's out there in the job market? Um, I don't feel like I'm working anymore. Do you? No, uh-uh. no. Like, what is it? It's not work. What, what do we do here? Well, for some reason, I'm, I'm like doing whatever it is I'm doing for like 12 hours a day, but <laughs> it, it's some combination of work and fun. And that is the, cool, the whole point about working in crypto is like, it's more of just a vibe. It's a, definitely a work hard, play hard environment. And it's not ever work and it's not ever play. It's something in the middle. Yeah, it is something in the middle. There's got to be a new term for that, but I uh, don't know what it is. But vibe. Yeah, vibe. Vibe it vibe. out. Vibe for now. All right, guys. We're jumping on the news. We got three big things to hit. First, Coinbase NFT. Second, Hester Peirce's speech. Third, what about Biden? Is he going to crush crypto? Let's start with the first, David. Coinbase NFT. It's coming soon. 
They're starting an NFT marketplace. You can join the waitlist. Brian Armstrong tweeted out, they've got 1 million people already who have joined the waitlist, excited for what Coinbase is going to do in the NFT space. What's happening here, David? Yeah, so they are making a competitor to FTX's uh, NFT platform. So this is a centralized NFT platform with you know that's hooked right into Exchange, where you already have your your crypto monies. Uh, and so now Coinbase is basically making a competitor to OpenSea that is cent- much more centralized, I guess, custodial OpenSea. Um, and I think that's actually it's just going to do a lot of. Uh, onboarding well, efforts, right? And but so, like, actually, so David, we don't know whether it's going to be purely custodial or not, do we? I mean, to be fair, at least I don't. Mm. Um, it doesn't I say would it in guess, this. I would guess that it is. Definitely, but, I, I understand that assumption, but we don't know for sure, right. right? This could be also non-custodial, and they could be like minting on layer two. They could be minting on Ethereum. It could be through their their non-custodial Coinbase wallet. One thing they will have that OpenSea doesn't. When we talk to 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 Devin about this, um, Vincer from OpenSea, is Coinbase has a fiat on ramp, right? Right, and OpenSea is just you, you start with right. ether, you know, yep. you can't on ramp. So Coinbase has that advantage out of the gate. But um, I'm actually excited to learn about how this is going to be built because we don't know all the details yet. Yeah, if you can put an NFT on a credit card via Coinbase, that would be kind of cool, actually. Do you remember? So back also in, dangerous. Think, also dangerous. That, some people are saying this. This feels like. Um, when Coinbase first listed ETH back in 2016, right? It's kind of a, a mainstreamy moment, I suppose, for Ether as an asset. Um, prior to that had been Bitcoin, maybe some other assets. Um, Coinbase is definitely jumping into this because NFTs are here to stay and they are mainstream. And, um, and it, you know, Co- Coinbase wants a big part of this market. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have to see. Actually, Brian Armstrong is coming on the podcast, by he the is? way, guys. Yeah. Oh, we scheduled it. That's great. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about this. I'm sure we'll talk about this. I'm sure we'll talk about regulatory matters. Lots to talk with Brian about. We've never actually had him on the podcast. So yeah. um, excited about that. Anything yeah, good, else? Good, good timing to talk about that with him uh, post launch of this NFT platform. It also looks like it's going to be a social media platform too. So you get a profile with a name and oh, you can does. follow people. Which is interesting. So Coinbase not only getting into NFTs, but also getting into social media. That's a big move. Yeah, it's a big move. Very cool. Uh, Over a million people signed up now, of course. Another big move is Hester Peirce's speech. So Hester Peirce, um, SEC commissioner. Crypto mom. One of five SEC commissioners? Uh, Seven. Five or six. Is it seven? You you keep talking while I I look that up. (laughs) Well, David just called her crypto mom, and you know she would be fine with that. We we actually asked her when she came on the podcast, and the reason she is crypto mom, and the the industry has five. Then David's saying five, SEC commissioners. The reason the industry has deemed her crypto mom is because she has been supportive of the values that the crypto industry is trying to provide. She has engaged with the crypto community, not treated us as outsiders and scammers and children children yeah not patronizing actually like digging in and so we had her on the podcast i guess earlier this year and i think this was before we knew it was definitely before we knew what gary gensler how what his reaction would was going to be and i was back when everyone was optimistic about gary gensler (laughs) we asked her and i I remember it's like we're we're kind of like trying to feel around uh you know uh, commissioner purse 
do you think Gary Gensler is going to be helpful to this industry or not? And she, she, I, I don't think genuinely she knew, right? And she didn't commit. And she said, we will get clarity mm-hmm. is one thing we'll get. Yeah. I recall her saying that. I kind of um, miss the old days now. <laughs> <laughs> you want the non-clarity part? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. I'll, take, I'll go back. I'll take it back. <laughs> Let's get to the speech, though, because yeah. this speech was fire. Like, absolutely. This was at the Texas Blockchain Summit. She came there. She talked. And the analogy she used, David, the West. Going West. Okay? We are headed West. Um, she talked about a book that she read called The Pioneers about the early, I guess, uh, you know, settlement of of the west um and how people moved from the east you know what i'm, I'm just going to read some quotes here because i think it's that good the settlers who moved west came not only with high expectations but with a whole range of talents and professions they cultivated other skills by necessity after they had re- arrived the society was rougher than the one they had built but nevertheless it was governed by the societal norms they carried with them by law and by mutual concern heightened by the difficult conditions in the early years and she goes on she talks about how the people who are headed west um, were, were headed to escape kind of the the paralyzed stifled stymied east coast elites basically where there's no opportunity for them that's why they were going to greener pastures and, and settling new lands and establishing cities, okay? So she paints this whole story and she says, I am you know, part of that story, Ohio, uh, that, that's where I live, that's where I kind of grew up, that's where I went to school, that's what America's tradition has been. And then she pauses and she says, guess what? Crypto's doing the same thing. It is the journey west. It is the modern journey west that the crypto industry is on. And she says, sure, it's home to a lot of code slingers, she says, and speculators and some hucksters too. This new west has all sorts of fights. Friendships are forged. And uh, she says, it's just like the, the, the west of the past. There's rough and tumble, but so much value and so much good is being created there. And then she goes on to say, do we really have legal clarity around digital assets? I think some in her, you know, uh, in the regulator, regulatory bodies would say, that's perfect legal clarity, right? I've, I've heard these statements like, of course we know what, an, what a security is in crypto, right? 1946, Howie, <laughs> defi- like, it's mm-hmm. obvious, should be obvious what's a security. And she said, ah, I don't know. Do we really have legal clarity? And then she says, are we enforcing rules by settling or settling for ambiguity? So what we want is clarity. Are we settling for ambiguity? She poses the question. Are we fighting for investors or fighting for jurisdiction? Wow, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. She's asking the question. This is a regulator. Are we protecting investors or denying investors opportunity? Oh, God. Okay, right? Nice. These are the speech headlines, okay? You guys have to go read this entire speech. Um, are we going to pretend everything is centralized so we can regulate it? Hitting hard. Yes. This is so awesome. This is it's great. amazing. Are we catching bad actors? Are we creating a catch-22? Mm-hmm. Are we creating conditions where it's like impossible to identify the bad actors and where mm-hmm. everyone's a bad actor? Mm-hmm. And she goes on. Her conclusion, okay? This is the best part. Her conclusion. Actually, the, the whole speech is the best part. Um, but she ends with this. To paraphrase, to paraphrase the standard closing words of a popular crypto podcast... Uh, which follow an appropriate warning about the riskiness of the space. We are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. Dot, dot, dot. 
Then she says, thank you for allowing me to drop in on your journey west. That footnote, if you go and click there, oh, who she quoted? Bankless, weekly roll-up YouTube, the October last, last 8th, week. Wow, dude, I have chills right now. Wow. Right? That is crazy. And that Commissioner is why Purse, if you or your office is listening, this is why uh, we are so appreciative of the work that you're doing. You are asking the questions that other regulators have not been willing to ask of their agencies and of their approach on this space. And we sincerely appreciate it. I sincerely appreciate this speech. You are saying far more eloquently uh, everything we had hoped to say to um to this industry and the regulators and this is posted on sec.gov as a speech a commissioner's speech powerful stuff sorry david i i wanted to go through all of that it's just it's just such a such a hot speech i just love it yep no it 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 definitely feels like like the the whatever we talk about on bankless is coming out of the words of hester purse in one of the most important rooms in the world when she was giving that speech and i think my my one comment about this thing it's it's not just arguing about the technicalities about clarity and like rules and these catch 22s it's also talking about the 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 culture right she's talking about crypto culture and why we want to go west in the first place like what why are these why are there these motivated groups of internet code slingers which is a great name <laughs> uh, <laughs> and why why are they motivated to be crypto people at all why are they motivated to go to the me- metaphorical frontier of wherever that frontier is which is no longer anywhere except it, now it's on the internet why are these people motivated to escape the the perils of of already instantiated society it's because we're we, no one feels free anymore everyone has this motivation to go westward uh and and escape the 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 problems of, of Eastern society, of rules and regulation and tyranny, right? And so she t- she gets the, cr- the culture, cultural aspect and talks about like, well, I, I hope people listening to the speech ask themselves the questions, why are there these deeply motivated people who are going on this westward journey? Because if they can answer that question, maybe they can come to terms with um, some of the better strategies to regulate this industry. Well said, well said. You know, uh, there's more we could say, but I think what you should do is take some time to read this entire speech. Uh, David, third thing of the week, is Biden going to crush crypto? I guess that's a question outstanding. I can't pull up the Bloomberg article right now, but um, there has been talk of an executive order that Biden and the White House are are creating um, to provide some oversight on everything in the crypto markets, everything that's going on. What this executive order might be, people are speculating. Perhaps it's sort of an executive order to uh, all agencies to go do some more research uh, and go you know, ask some other questions. But one of the issues that they have identified is there's no overarching you know, crypto czar as they called it in this Bloomberg article, somebody that spans all agencies and can look at this industry and what's going on in crypto holistically, right? And what's interesting is this comes on the the backdrop of a lot of executive branch regulatory agencies that have been particularly aggressive to crypto uh, lately. At least it seems that way, coming from the SEC, um, coming maybe from other agencies as well, Treasury with um, uh, the... Uh, the, the recent bill injecting that language in the infrastructure bill, for instance, right? So we're, 
you know, those, those in crypto are kind of bracing themselves for like some not good news. Now, it d- doesn't mean there's going to be immediate executive order to, to do all these things. There'll probably be research first. But, you know, it was crazy what, what struck me uh, from this uh, this article, David. Let me Maybe let me read int- the paragraph because I know where you're about to read go with this. Read the paragraph, this is, yeah. okay, because this is, this is crazy. Go okay, ahead. So, so the paragraph is Tim Wu. A special assistant to the president for technology and competition policy has knowledge in the area, the area being crypto, but is recused from working on crypto because of his personal holdings, which included between one and five million dollars in Bitcoin and as much as a quarter million dollars in Filecoin as of when he filed his financial disclosures earlier this year. So there's one guy in the White House that owns a bunch of crypto and he had to recuse himself from even being a part of this conversation as to what this executive order might look like. The one person in the White House that holds and therefore probably understands crypto can't partake in the conversation. Whoops. Uh-oh. This is what's hilarious to me. This is the irony, right? Because the, the article concludes with that. And it says basically that the trouble the White House is finding is we can't find anyone who knows anything about crypto except this one guy, Tim. And Tim can't do it because he knows about crypto and he's and he already he's owns bullish. it because he knows about it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else knows about it. The one guy who knows about it, of course he owns crypto. Right. Because... He knows about crypto. The most bullish thing about crypto is to be understood. The guy that understands it is bullish and can't guide legislation. Talk about catch-22s. Because (laughs) if anyone actually understands crypto, I would argue that they are, they therefore become bullish enough to actually own some, to actually buy some crypto. Mm -hmm. And if they buy some crypto, they have to recuse themselves from the process of being a crypto czar and actually informing policyholders of it because they're biased. I the log- the logical owning- conclusion of this is is just hilarious, right? And so, like, <laughs> if you just extrapolate this out, like, the only people that are allowed to like make policy are people that are invested in dollars, right? Like, you only have dollars in the and bank stocks, account and the and banking it- system, the existing right. banking system. Uh-huh. These are the people without bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely backwards. Well, you know, uh, you you and I, none of our listeners could could ever, I guess, do this job because we are all uh, we all own crypto assets, mm-hmm. yep. and so I think they're going to find a increasingly shrinking pool. But I guess the tragedy of this is what they have to do is is find someone who doesn't know about crypto, or like I guess feels like maybe they missed the boat on crypto, and uh, you know, some people get bitter in that experience, right? Yep. And um, it's likely they're pooling from that pool of candidates, the person who's going to regulate crypto, mm-hmm. somebody who maybe already hates it. Right. <laughs> oh, Not you guys got situation. a 10,000x gains on your crypto? Well, I and I didn't. I'm going <laughs> to regulate that until it goes back down to zero. This is the problem, guys. So yeah. I, I don't know how to solve that. I understand yeah. there are things like conflicts of interest you have to deal with, but um, to know crypto... I would argue is to be bullish on crypto. And what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to have some allocation in your portfolio in it. So what do we do about that? This is why Uh, government can't attract talent, because (laughs) if you want to express your talent and like generate wealth and capital, you government is like, well, no, 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 no. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. All right. Let's get to some Ethereum stuff. Those are our leaders. But let's talk about German auto firm is becoming the first European uh, EU to a EU uh, auto firm to use the Ethereum blockchain to finance cars. What's what's going on here? 
Yeah, so uh, in the press statement, the Germany-based firm noted that the move to, uh, aims to eliminate all the paperwork in facilitating its core business of car financing, which is interesting because this is, uh, you know, DeFi, crypto, Ethereum, actually executing on the original vision of the internet, which was totally to remove pen and paper from all offices, except like that never actually happened. And the reason why that never happened is our, because we didn't have crypto. We had our traditional pen and paper based financial system. And so the internet never actually made offices paperless anymore. But now we can with crypto. Uh, and so I think this is just going to be the first of many companies to start to use Ethereum uh, smart contracts to finance stuff. Uh, yeah. so they're, they're not using DeFi, they're using custom built um, smart contracts. But the point is, is they're using smart contracts in the original like uh, way that they were intended as contracts between two parties, two counterparties. Yeah, it, it's so true, David. Like all of the all of the the you know pen and paper stuff that that we see nowadays, right? Um, that's going to be uh, programmically driven in the future. It's going to be smart contract driven, right? So like we think right now, what's a digital contract? Well. That's a, a PDF you receive on DocuSign, and you can right. sign digitally. Now, not in the smart contract world. Right. In the smart contract world, that document doesn't even exist because the majority of it is code and is actually executed on a blockchain somewhere. So it's cool to see uh, somebody getting back to to those roots. Um, Polygon is hitting its minimum. It's increasing its minimum gas price by 30x, and this is in a bid to foil spammers. Is the article title? What's going on with Polygon, the sidechain? Yeah, last week was the monolithic blockchain week. And this is another tip of the hat to how if you just have a juice up blockchain, you ultimately are going to co collapse back down to a database or you need to increase fees. And so you have to increase fees if you want to preserve any amount of decentralization. Uh, and so that is what Polygon ultimately was forced to do because you know if you have very, very cheap block space, spammers and people can just throw in trash into your chain because you don't actually have any way to meter consumption. Uh, and then if you want to do that uh, sustainably, you have to go back to a data database or you increase fees to make actually spamming the, the chain really, really expensive. Uh, and so Polygon has chose in the commitments towards staying decentralized by increasing fees. Uh, and I bet you this is actually not the last time that they actually have to increase fees. I think we're going to see this happen again in the future. My understanding is actually they're going to turn this over to a mechanism. So this time they did it sort of manually by increasing uh, gas price fees, but they're going to have like a mechanism like EIP 1559 that's going to sort of mechanistically increase or decrease gas fees based on demand. So it'll get smarter in the future. Cool. But yeah, I mean, you have to increase gas fees or else uh, these systems do not work in the long run. This is an interesting conundrum that Maker is starting to ponder as well. Um, where do they pay taxes? Where does the Maker DAO pay taxes? What jurisdiction does it belong to? The Maker Foundation has dissolved, of course, and what's left is this protocol. Ge ge geography unknown, geography internet. So they're having this debate, David, in their forums about how do they address kind of the tax issue, right? Um, do they just get ahead of this and say, yes, we are a, uh, an American registered C-Corp, right? Or an LLC or something. Uh, well, then they'd be subject to the laws of the U.S. And the laws of the U.S. don't handle DAOs very well. They'd be treated as a partnership. Do they pick another territory and try to get ahead of it that way? Do they wait for the jurisdictions to come to them and say, say, you know, 10, 15 different jurisdictions say, oh, yes, um, 
I see you have members in France and, and you know, the, the Spanish government comes in Spain and the IRS comes and says you have, you have people in America and they all claim territory and they all try to extract tax from MakerDAO. So what does it do about this? And the foreign force is interesting because they don't really have a clear answer because there is no regulatory clarity or regulatory status for this new internet native institution that they are running right now. Quite the conundrum. Yeah, listeners might be asking themselves, why does a DeFi app even want to care about paying taxes? Like, isn't the whole point supposed to be like you're actually not domiciled anywhere? You're domiciled on the internet. Uh, MakerDAO is a little bit of a different case because MakerDAO wants to include real world assets into its collateral, into its vaults, right? Uh, and so if you have real world assets somewhere, well, those exist in jurisdiction. So MakerDAO has always had um, as part of its just like uh, vision to be integrated into the real world, which then kind of lends itself like, all right, well, where? And so that conversation shall continue. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a conversation that many of the DAOs are starting to have right now in MakerDAO because it is most mature is having it first. Um, more good news from the devs, the, the protocol devs of Ethereum. What's, uh, what's this news here, David? Yeah, I was joking about this with Anthony Cezano. This is just that, that time of the year where all the Ethereum developers get together and they make all their uh, clients speak to each other. We talked about this on the roll-up uh, uh, last week. Um, for the non-technical people, the, the, the vibe is just like, oh yeah, you see all the developers smiling and clapping and looking at code on a screen. So like, hey, yay, the developers are happy. The developers are doing things and they're happy. Uh, and, and also, this is just a really cool picture. You, got, you have all these different client teams uh, all looking at the same screen, all like taking photos, just clapping, being happy. It's like, it's like a, a nice, like, you know, cultural event. And then you also, of course, have Vitalik right in the middle, uh, doing the classic Vitalik, Vitalik, please clap. <laughs> Vitalik, it must be pleased and he should be pleased. This is happening uh, very fast. Looks like it's going very well. And this is all the march towards the merge, uh, which is ever so important for Ethereum. Visa, in other news, moving beyond Ethereum, they are launching an NFT program as well. What's this? Yeah, so they are not sending NFTs through the Visa Payments Network. That's not, that's not what's going <laughs> not on. Yet. It's more it's more of like a, a NFT incubation studio. Yeah, kind of trying to just help support artists and and you know celebrities and people uh, do NFT stuff, which is an interesting like divergence from their core competency, their core business model. But I'm in I'm into it. I feel like one thing Visa is trying to say is like, hey guys, we're, we like crypto. We're serious about it. Right. They just like buying a crypto punk, you know, releasing white papers about new crypto interoperability protocols. They're just like, hey, we believe in crypto. We think it's the future. We want to be part of it. Uh, so good, positive <laughs> vibes coming from Visa these days. Positive vibes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what about this? Crypto startup. CB yeah. No, crypto startup strikes a deal with uh, Viacom, CBS. Wait, that could lead to SpongeBob and South Park NFTs? Yeah, dude. Yeah, so we talked about this, I think, two roll-ups ago. Uh, Steve Cohen, uh, that billionaire, right. is invested in this NFT uh, platform. And apparently this NFT platform got linked, uh, you know, billionaires, they tend to have connections. Yeah, and so they, they linked them to Viacom CBS, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so uh, the studio that owns the rights to SpongeBob and South Park might issue NFTs. Importantly, and this is, this is where I'm going to get emotional here. They, what? they, uh, don't, they're, they brand themselves, the NFT studio brands themselves as a multi-chain, uh, studio, right? We'll issue NFTs on all the chains. If they, I'm going to swear. So turn, turn it off <laughs> if you have kids. If they list the fucking SpongeBob <laughs> NFT anywhere that's not on Ethereum, <laughs> I will actually die. 
I will, because I, I'm, if, if the SpongeBob <laughs> NFT gets minted and on Ethereum, I'm literally selling a, a unreasonable amount of my ether to buy that SpongeBob NFT. And this is how <laughs> NFTs works, right, right? You don't, everyone is skeptical on NFTs until NFT, some NFT comes that like they actually really, really want. You must list the SpongeBob NFT on Ethereum or I will die. Someone, whoever has a connection to this NFT company, please get me in contact with them because I want that SpongeBob NFT and it needs to be on Ethereum. How, how are you going to die? Are you just like going to die of a broken it, it, heart? You're just going to give up on like, yeah, it, just this heart, means heart a lot failure. to you. Heart, like, yeah, broken, exactly. Broken heart. Yeah. It'd be a shame if they did that. If you're, if you're going to do this, do it right. So mm -hmm. maybe uh, somebody from Viacom is listening to us right now. Mm -hmm. Don't kill, don't kill a man. Don't kill David. Okay. <laughs> He's 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 a valuable co-host. We need him for the bankless revolution that is coming. All right, uh, just issue your your NFTs in the right place. Put them on my, Ethereum or Layer Two. My mom was very strict about no TV at the dinner table, um, but she always made the exception for Saturday morning SpongeBob. And so, like you know, SpongeBob holds a, a very close place in my heart. There you go. All right, uh, some of these NFTs are launching tokens though. Cyberkongs, yeah. Board Ape Yacht Club. Why are they doing that? What do you think about it? Yeah, the, the why are they doing that is probably just financial incentives, right? So like if you have a community of Board Apes or you have a community of like the Cyberkongs and these things become really, really valuable, what can you just mint a token and that is like the currency for this NFT thing and is, have that like be valuable? Is it like a governance token though? Like maybe you it can be what, what the it, community does it, next. Can be whatever it wants, right? Yeah. And so like, well, so like imagine if all these board apes or these cyber kongs all collectively had like a currency that had like a fifty million dollar market cap that therefore is their treasury to do stuff, right? Uh, and so yeah, there, so, so NFT projects are issuing currencies. Yeah. Uh, and so the, I have a take on this later in the show, but more or less, it's like. Well, we're kind of creating like our own like civilizations, right? Like we have our people, we have our societies. There are the profile pictures, and now we have the money. Uh, what happens next? A board ape nation, board ape uh, society, nation, yeah. basically. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it could happen. ERC seven twenty ones. They they can't resist the ERC twenties, can they? <laughs> no one can. Um, Matt Hogan says mm -hmm. the New York Stock Exchange just filed for a Bitwise Bitcoin ETF. That's cool. A Bitcoin ETF, New York Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. All right. And it holds not futures that are settled in some other currency. It would hold actual Bitcoin. And Matt goes through why that's important in a 100 page analysis, of course. Uh, well done, Bitwise team. New York Stock Exchange. All right. Again, the, the pressure is mounting. Right. Can the SEC continue to deny? Some of its favorite institutions on earth, possibly the banks now coming to them, Fidelity, uh, saying, "Hey, we'd really like a Bitcoin NFT. It's time." New York Stock Exchange saying it. Who's ETF? against this at this point? <laughs> e what did I say? NFT. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I got two of the letters right. I guess. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I it feels like it's over. Everybody who doesn't want an ETF right. at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Who? Yep. Yeah. Gary Gensler might be the Gary only guy. Yep. Just Gary. All right. So he'll, he'll do it. He'll do it. This is interesting, David. I think this is a, there's a couple of stories about this, but um, Bitcoin mining crackdown, of course, in China in summer. These miners moved somewhere. Some of them moved to Kazakhstan, I believe, but a mm -hmm. lot of them moved to the U.S. Yep. And so a lot of this mining institution is now U.S. based. What's going on here? 
Yeah, the United States of America has the largest share of Bitcoin hash power, clocking, clocking in at 35% of all Bitcoin hash power now domiciled in the United States, which is nice because that makes it easier and easier to make the case for adopting Bitcoin into the legal system, the financial system, all, all the things that have been resisting Bitcoin. The more and more it becomes domiciled in the United States, the more and more United States regulators are happy about that. And um, more and more infrastructure, more, like one of the big things that has been allegedly holding the ATF back is that uh, BTC price discovery has been happening offshore, has been more and more moving onshore. So the more things about Bitcoin that come to the United States, the better. Uh, and in the United States, now the number one uh, domiciled hash rate uh, operator of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's been holding the NFT back all this time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know what's cool about this is this is actually a prediction that Bitcoiners made, and I think mm -hmm. they're right about it. It's the game theory of like trying to ban Bitcoin in your country. It doesn't work because some other jurisdiction just adopts it yep, just and becomes it more powerful. So it's to your disadvantage to go and ban cryptocurrency and adoption. Interesting thing is happening with DeFi as well. As China continues to contract its regulation and um, squeeze its vice grip on DeFi and crypto writ large, it just moves elsewhere or it goes underground and becomes a secret. And that's China's disadvantage. If the US did the same, it would be to the US's disadvantage. Uh, David, interesting story this week in Forbes. I think it was the cover story. I think uh, SBF Sam Bankman Freed made the Bankman. Forbes magazine Bankman, emphasis, <laughs> emphasis on the bank, bank, I guess. <laughs> um, the guy's worth $23 billion now, mm -hmm. and he made this all in crypto over the past three years. So, you know, that takes some doing. But one part of this story that fascinated me was something I'd always kind of expected, but I didn't really go into detail about SBF because, uh, you know, he has me blocked on Twitter, even though I've never interacted with the guy. Really? I yeah. Did you know that? Are you blocked no. on Twitter? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe he I might am. be. Yeah. I don't know. I've never interacted with uh, SBF. You know, I'm you know I'm fairly nice on Twitter. I don't yeah, like. I don't get into scuffles I'm very often, <laughs> and I'm blocked. But that's aside aside the point. Interesting thing. Oh yeah, about, I'm blocked. I'm blocked. You're blocked on, too. I, I'm blocked. Yep. Well, mm -hmm. you obviously said something to him. Oh yeah, and, that, and got us both blocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, here's a quote from the article: Bankman Fried is no crypto evangelist. He's barely even a believer. He's a mercenary dedicated to making as much money as possible. He doesn't really care how, solely so that he can give it away. He doesn't really know to whom or when. Okay, that makes sense to me. It all makes sense. There are people who are in crypto for the mission. There are other people who are in it because they're mercenaries and they're trying to make the most amount of money possible and then leave. They don't actually believe in the values that we talk about in Bankless, or they value those things very loosely. What they prioritize is making the most money possible. Maybe if you give SBF the benefit of doubt, he's going to give it all away, and that would be an act of altruism, and that would be a great thing, possibly. Not a great thing for crypto. At the end of the day, David, I believe many of these people are short-term rent-extracting entities, I believe some of the crypto banks will end up being that way as well. And I don't, like, I do believe in this industry, okay? Right? Like, you can make money in this industry, and that's fantastic. I hope we all make lots of money. There's tons of opportunity. We should make money where we can. 
but we should not sacrifice our values in order to make that money. Like I am here for a larger purpose than that. And I think many of you listening are, but it's important to note that not everyone else is. And I don't judge SBF. I'm just, I appreciate that transparency. Okay. It's not my life, like not my life choice. We're going a different path. Many of you are going a different path. You're here not just for the money. You're here for the greater purpose of crypto, which is to decentralize the world, to create a better open money system for our kids and for our grandkids, hopefully to unscrew all the broken institutions and protocols that are so freaking screwed up right now. That's why you're here, maybe. Uh, Some people aren't, okay? But like, what pisses me off is when people, like, they go to him for guidance on the layer two or the layer one of choice, for instance, right? SBF's backing of Solana, quite right. frankly, for me, is a huge turnoff of Solana, yep. right? Okay, I mean, so a mercenary backs your project? Right. That's not yeah. what we want. Who cares? Right. Uh, the the self-admitted non-believer of the values and drivers of what makes crypto crypto is backing Solana. Like, I'll just, I'm not, I'm no comment after that. Like you, you, you take that for what you, what it is. Let's move on. Well, you know what, SBF, you should unblock us and you should come on the podcast and we should discuss it. Mm-hmm. And we uh, should you know, turns talk out, about. Turns out I'm not blocked. I'm, it's just you. It's just you. <laughs> oh, it's just me. Okay. Yeah, it's just you. Thanks for that. Just me. Uh, you know what's interesting? This ties into our earlier conversation. Senator Lummis mm-hmm. actually just disclosed a Bitcoin buy of a hundred thousand dollars. You learn about crypto, you get bullish. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Senator Lummis has has always been bullish. She was the first senator to put laser eyes on. Uh, So she's always been a bullish individual. Um, But uh, I mean, don't don't stop buying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting though, right? It's like the question of does that bias you or not? It's a longer discussion is people think that no one in Congress should actually own stocks. I'm like, right. I, I don't know what. You know. Okay, so cool. You're just going to drive away all of Congress so they can be wealthy elsewhere? I, I guess, right? I mean, stocks are America's savings account. You want them right. to put their money in the bank. Like what you're asking them to. Right. I don't understand. Anyway, longer discussion. Maybe there's a debate there at some point in time. So rare is under investigation as a gambling platform. What does that mean, David? Yeah, yeah. So, so rare is that fantasy uh, soccer platform also expanding into other fantasy leagues as well. Um, uh, and so because you can make bet, like predictions about the future outcome of things and make money off of that. They are being deemed a gambling platform by regulators. Uh, statement uh, in response to this by SoRare that says, uh, we are very confident SoRare does not offer any forms of regulated gambling. This has been confirmed by expert legal opinions at every stage since the company was founded. So um, something to watch. Uh, no, no real you know, breakaways other than that. Uh, we'll see what unfolds. All right, we're going to burn through these next ones. A16Z, they are coming to Washington and pushing crypto policy. Big venture capital firm. Uh, they have some connections behind them. The Calvary is riding into D.C. I guess what that that's what that means. And I hope they, uh, they're able to convince some people. Uh, Stripe is hiring for crypto, which is neat. Uh, Stripe, the payments company, the, the company that disrupted a bunch of other payment providers by just like something like 10 lines of code, uh, is now helping trying to build the future of Web3 payments. So if you want to work at Stripe and you want to work in Stripe crypto, uh, uh, go apply, I guess. Do this oh. one too. 
Yeah. Oh, Alchemix. Yeah. Alchemix uh, says uh, out of the Twitter account, the future isn't written stone, but rather arises from the cumulative blood, sweat, and tears of dreamers on a mission. We proudly present our roadmap to transmute Alchemix and DeFi along with it. Get a sneak preview of the future in our article. TLDR, Alchemix V2 is coming. Also, tune into that conversation with Scoopy Triples on the Bankless YouTube. Uh, it's coming sometime this weekend. Uh, and also take a peek under the hood as what's coming in this document that they have. Very cool. Last one for the week. Uh, report in that BlockFi, they released a credit card. Their customers spend at a rate five times of uh, other like legacy traditional credit card holders. So what's interesting to me about this story... Yeah, because they all got crypto rich. <laughs> okay, but what's interesting to me about this story is like when... This is about the time where the banks uh, wake up and they're like, oh, all the crypto people that we kicked off of our banking system we didn't support, we didn't provide service for. Oh, uh, our, our time instead supporting the wealthy and the rich. Uh, oh, these crypto people are rich now. Mm. And like they're going to start trying to incorporate crypto back into the banking fold. And crypto is just going to be back. like, yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and crypto is just going to be like, nah, we don't need you guys. See ya. Mm. I'm closing mm. my Wells Fargo account. Mm-hmm. Going Forever. Bankless. Yep. Going bankless. <laughs> BlockFi is not bankless, but you know, it's it's on that path. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Right. Uh huh. Enough said. <laughs> Guys, we'll be right back with the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Matcha, everyone's favorite dex aggregator, has just launched an open beta for gasless trading. So if you're trading more than five thousand dollars in common ETH and wrapped Bitcoin pairs, then your gas fees on Matcha are free. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible price without any trading fees or unnecessary slippage. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that, that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single and easy to use platform and has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and getting a bad price. Matcha also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless, connect your wallet, and start getting some of the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Alchemix is one of the coolest new DeFi apps on the scene. It introduces self-paying loans, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Deposit the DAI stablecoin into the Alchemix vault in order to get an advance on the interest it generates. Borrow up to 50% of the total amount of your deposited die in the form of AL-USD stablecoin. Here's the craziest part. The loan pays itself back and you cannot be liquidated. Unlock your assets potential in the ultimate DeFi savings account. And brand new to Alchemix is the ETH vault where you can deposit ETH into the application, borrow AL-ETH against your deposits while having your advance gradually paid back over time. V2 is rapidly approaching, which will allow for even more collateral types, plus a variety of yield strategies to choose from. Harness the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I-X dot F-I. Follow Alchemix on Twitter at alchemixfi and join the Discord to keep up to date with Alchemix V2 and to get involved in governance. 
All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. David, let's start with this hot take from davidhoffman.eve at Great Trustless guy. State. Great, Great guy. guy. All DAOs are ultimately steps to become digital nations. I feel like you said something like this earlier in the episode. What did you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think the logical conclusion of digital organizations is to have you know your own currency, your own perks, your own infrastructure, your own like reason and values for being. Uh, I think you know what starts off as a DAO, the logical conclusion of where these goes are digital societies, digital civilizations, digital nations, nations in the cloud. So each DAO is its own country, its own digital nation, uh, and is all just trying to grow its, its nation together with the, the community. And when you say nation, you're talking about like a community, right? So these could be like tiny nations. Your nation could be like a hundred people in your DAO, if that's what it is, right? Or could be, and you could be part of multiple nations as well. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Just each one is, is its own civilization with its own purpose and is going to grow its, you know, nation as, as much as it can. That's why we call it the bankless nation. Don't we? Who's this guy? You know, he's, he's, he's a turtle. So he's gotta be someone important. Okay. Definitely not. Gotta listen to him. Uh, Anyways, do you want to read this, it? Yeah, I'll sure. Comment. This turtle turtle man says, this isn't the 1990s for crypto. This is the 1790s. We've just written our own constitutional protocols and we get to build our digital nations. Hey, digital nation. Yeah, I, I just think, and somebody should write an article about this. I, I just need to school up on my uh, US history before I feel confident writing an article about this. But I feel like this is very much um, like just you know, at the kind of the, the end of the Renaissance, sort of that, that time period where revolutions were happening, right? So existing autocracies and tyrannies uh, were being called into question and people set out for freedom. It reminds me of the early American Republic and the, like the founding fathers of the American Republic. I mean, they were, you know, learned people, they, they, sort of knew what they were doing, but they were like in their early 20s, man, like many of them, some of them were 19, like Alexander Hamilton was like 21 years old or something, right? In the revolution, when they came to write this document, this protocol for governing a new nation state, that's exactly what they were doing, right? They were writing a new protocol. And I feel like that's what we're doing in crypto right now. And we're at the very early stages of it. We have the skeleton of this decentralized, the set of decentralized protocols. And now we're starting to build everything on top of it. Um, unlike the analog world, this is going to happen so much faster. All right. So, you know, we've done the revolution part. I guess that was the, you know, the Bitcoin. Now we've written some of these core constitutions and we're going to you know spin through the 1800s and 1900s. And pretty soon, I think crypto is going to have an economy that rivals the largest nation state economies in the world. But that's kind of what we're building is this new you, you called it a digital nation, a new digital nation for uh, you know freedom of expression for property rights. So it's the 1790s. It's not the 1990s. Uh, that's the take. Very in line with the whole crypto renaissance concept that uh, we had that one podcast on. The, the 1990s trope, just for people who uh, don't want to miss that, the, the line is that like, you know, we are going through the, the evolution of the internet, but now we're doing it for crypto. So people say, oh, we're in like the early 90s of the internet evolution. And that's what, that's what Ryan is referring to. And I've um, said that before too, to right. be fair. I think that's and a good bo- analogy both is, too. Both are both true. Both are true. Bo- both are true. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But, but I, what you're saying is the whole like, we're at the genesis of a nation take is less appreciated and that's why it's a take. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Tim Swanson. So, okay. Well, actually, this is a take that Vitalik Buterin had. So maybe we should go straight mm-hmm. to the source. I'm going to read it. This is a, a Reddit post he made. I think this was on a something about uh, B- Bukele. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So somebody was speaking out against Bukele and uh, his support of Bitcoin and Bitcoiners' support of him. This is, of course, the uh, the president of El Salvador. And um, Vitalik Buterin responds and says, nothing unpopular about that opinion. Making it mandatory for business to accept a specific cryptocurrency is contrary to the ideals of freedom that are supposed to be so important in this space. Additionally, this tactic of pushing Bitcoin to millions of people in El Salvador, at the same time with almost no attempt at prior education, is reckless and risks a large number of innocent people getting hacked or scammed. Shame on everyone. Okay, fine. I'll call out the main people who are actually praising him. Shame on Bitcoin maximalists who are uncritically praising him. And of course, if anyone else had said this, this would have just passed by the wayside. But because Vitalik Buterin said it, you know, publicly in a form, I think Bitcoin maximalists went crazy. I saw this headline just about everywhere. Vitalik speaks out and you know, people angry and um, calling him a hip- hypocrite and all of these things. So that's what actually happened, David. What's uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, the, the Bitcoiner reaction to this was that this is just Vitalik like talking badly about Bitcoin and being upset about Bitcoin adoption, right? And so they, they really turned it around and made it about Bitcoin, not about the authoritarianism of <laughs> of Bukele, which is exactly what Vitalik is talking about, right? Like deflecting the whole authoritarian thing. It's like, no, 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 Vitalik, you just don't want Bitcoin to be adopted because you have like bias against it and you want Ethereum to be adopted, which is completely beside the point. We saw Alex Gladstein, who I've had my tussles with on Twitter because I think he is a Bitcoin maximalist hiding behind a human rights advocate in disguise. Uh, And uh, he says on Twitter, Andres didn't even bother uh, criticizing Bukele's human rights record. Vitalik's harsh words were against Bitcoin adoption because he doesn't like Bitcoin, not because he cares about El Salvador. That's what Vitalik's point is that he literally is only caring about El Salvador and Bitcoiners aren't, which kind of just proves the point. It totally proves the point. You know what? They're also totally wrong against about Vitalik. If, If this had been the Ethereum community and this was ETH in its stead, no question in my mind, Vitalik would have been calling out ETH and probably like 10 times as harshly as this and, you know, much more publicly about the same sort of thing. So people who think this is just like bag bias or anti-Bitcoinerism, they don't know Vitalik. And, you know, I mean, they're just spinning this for, for their own narrative. So I think it's a fair point from Vitalik. I don't know. What do you think about it, David? What do you think about Bukele's move? Um, and this whole Bitcoin adoption thing, is this actually good for the people of El Salvador? Is this even good for Bitcoin? We asked this uh, same question to Nick Carter when we had him on the State of the Nation to help unpack this El Salvador news. And he, uh, I think, said it right, where he taught, said it, this is a fair critique. This is a fair yes. criticism. Uh, and so there are some Bitcoiners out there, good, good ones like Nick Carter, who I think are on the right side of this whole debate. Um, uh, and uh, while... The cool thing about what El Salvador did is they went from one legal currency to two legal currencies. That's cool. Like that, that, that's one more option. But what they could have done is just removed the, the one legal currency at all and had zero legal currencies and make them all legal. And that is more in line with the Ethereum ethos, right? Like pick your own currency. There's a bajillion tokens on Ethereum. You can pick whatever one you want. You want USDC? You want Rye? You want DAI? What, like, what do you want? Like pick your favorite. And, and so like, opening up more freedoms rather than just adding Bitcoin, I think is the right approach here. And on, on that note, uh, Vitalik tweeted out in some, sometime in 2017, something along the lines of like, 
if uh, and this was in the middle of the ICO mania where there were just like terrible ideas getting funded, money, bunch of money thrown around. And he tweeted out something along the lines of like, if this is all that crypto is, which is I'm token out. speculation, I'm yeah. out of here. And like, yeah. I, when I read that tweet, I was like, oh God, like he's yeah. serious. Like he's yeah. actually gonna leave. Oh, and, and I remember uh, the comments, David. I got scared. Every, everyone was angry at Vitalik. Mm-hmm. Like right. you're gonna you're gonna pop the, the market. Like what right. are you doing? Like, why mm-hmm. are you saying this? Everyone was angry. Right, but yeah. Like, uh, but no, if, if Ethereum went against Vitalik's ethos and values, he'd be out. He'd just leave. All of us should be like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is not protocol maximalism. This is values maximalism. Yep. And um, yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Good take. There was good a take. take. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron okay. Wright. What's yeah. he say? Blitzscaling. Okay. In Web3, Blitzscaling will be replaced by good vibes and community building. Don't underestimate the impact and value capture of a well-coordinated community. This term vibes, David, good vibes. Mm-hmm. I heard you say it often in the Peter Pan, the episode you did with Peter Pan, who is a real person with the layer zero, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and w- what does good vibes actually mean? Because people hear that and they're like, what, like you talking about, like you go into a party, you're just right. feeling good about things. What are you actually doing? What are you building? Where's the work that's getting done? Mm-hmm. So like the, the, the metaphor that we use in the layer zero podcast was like uh, a DJ, uh, his, their job is to establish a vibe, right? And like have that be like a call and response with a crowd, right? And then they want to generate a vibe and then sustain that vibe throughout the life of the party. You you have something, there's a cradle of life here and he wants to sustain that vibe. And these same vibes are defined in circles of friends, you and your, your five friends. The reason why you guys are all friends is because you guys have a vibe. Uh, company, company culture, company culture that is good is a vibe and you want to carry that vibe of ambition and progress. And I said this in the DAO season two, the Bankless DAO season two launch, that all a DAO really is, is a vibe. And we also talked about on the gaming panel that we just had, that the gamification, like the what GameFi is or the crypt, intersection of crypto gaming is that gaming is becoming a little bit more like work because you can make money, but work is also becoming a little bit more like gaming. And vibe isn't just play. A vibe is a feeling, it's an emotion. And when you have a DAO which a, with a bunch of people in it that are all vibing, that is the energy that upholds a vibe. Uh, and so it's some combination of work and play. You need to work because you need to generate economic resources because you've got to put food on the table. And once you have food on the table, you can then play, which is establishing the vibe. Uh, and so blitzscaling, this is this Web2 for, uh, uh, verb, which is like, can you scale out your Facebook or MySpace as fast as possible? Aaron Wright says, blitzscaling will be replaced by good vibes and community building. Because if, we, if what we are doing here in the crypto world is to do anything, is to allow the world to v- just vibe more. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and to your point, I, I think earlier that you made, pe- people think that um, when you're vibing, you're not working. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're vibing well, you're vibing well, you're working, right? Yeah. And work and vibe kind of equal the same thing. So... Which is why is, people love the Bankless Friday weekly roll-up because all we are doing is vibing <laughs> for an hour and a half. You know what? This isn't work. This isn't work to you. No, not not at all. Do you know? Um, I guess it's all about economic vibes. That's what we've created in crypto. Economic that's vibes. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Economic, economic vibes. vibes. Here we go. Okay, Zeneca says there's one thing all the most successful NFTs projects have in common, and what is that one thing, Zeneca? We need to know. Time. That's mm-hmm. it. Is it that simple, David? Just time? That's all mm-hmm. NFTs need? Yeah, so he, what he's saying is that NFT artists and NFT creators, they need to balance scarcity, right? They want to, you need to issue NFTs because that's how you make money, but you can't issue a million of them because then each one's worthless, right? So what Zeneca is saying is that 
NFTs are going to be valued by some function of the time that an artist puts into that NFT. And that is what makes these NFTs scarce, right? Like you only have so much time in your life. You only have so much like skill and labor and time you can commit towards an NFT. And so NFTs are going to be, art, art basically is going to be valued as a function of how much time an artist put into the NFT. There you go. All right, next take. What what was this? Somebody got hacked by a pirate? What's happening here? Just tell yeah, me what's happening. This is just something you will only ever see in crypto. And so Robert Miller says, imagine being hacked for $1 million and having to negotiate with someone role-playing as a pirate to get it back. And he has a screenshot of somebody's comment in Discord, who apparently is the guy that like, you know, <laughs> black, black hat attacked this protocol. And so Captain uh. Hook is in the Discord and goes, ahoy, I feel bad about plundering your vessel and would like to talk about returning to treasure chest would you mind me accepting me matey offer friend request so we can discuss <laughs> this is the hacker saying this to him this is the hacker just be, a, acting like a pirate <laughs> saying like hey I, I stole your money if you want it back send me a friend request oh, oh that that's is hilarious. the best that's hilarious. Um, so how did this resolve did he get his I money back no or did you have I to have pay no, the pirate it doesn't no even clue. matter how it doesn't even matter i mean it matters story, story. to robert but that story is hilarious <laughs> sorry for your pirate troubles robert mm-hmm. um all right what's this take yeah, I, I had this uh, tweet earlier today. Uh, I just noticed that, you know, you know how like global supply chains are broken? Like, yeah, uh, there's just like de- deflationary uh, goods everywhere. Uh, and so I say global supply chains are broken and can't deliver, deliver physical goods. Meanwhile, NFT volumes are breaking records. Coincidence? I'll just leave that up to the listener. Sorry, kids. Daddy's getting you NFTs for Christmas <laughs> this year because the supply chain is broken. Did you know they just um, presented or they, they're just like recommending a new Christmas czar in the U.S. to help fix this? There's like one trillion dollars in uh, products that won't make it in time for the Christmas season the U.S. wants. So they're, they're trying to figure out a way to appoint someone to go take care of this. So you might actually be right. Maybe there is some like boom coming to NFTs because we switch from the physical into the digital. What are right. things after all? What do we really need when we have the essentials, right? You know, we're looking for some status. We're looking for some fun, some collectibles. Maybe NFTs hit all of those boxes for your Christmas gift wish list. Yeah. I don't know. Over, like, I'm a little bit, like, facetious about, like, oh, you, like, you don't uh, have your physical yeah. goods. You got to buy NFTs. But I also, like, the broader commentary is we're moving into the, the digital world. Like, physical stuff is hard now, apparently. But you know what's becoming easier? Digital stuff. It's good. I, I mean, that could be good. That could be good for a lot of things. Could be good for the environment. Could reduce yeah, good, consumption. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, really. What are you excited about, though, David? That time of the week. Oh, what do you think, man? So I volunteered <laughs> for the Andrew Yang campaign for the 2020 election campaign. Sadly, he did not get elected president. Um, but I, I remember going to his uh, Seattle event in Gasworks Park, shaking his hand in 2019. Uh, I have a, a little clip from uh, of me just shaking his hand, taken by my buddy Michael Wong. Uh, and then in 2021, I get him on the podcast, right? It's, it's just kind of like a, a nice A to B, like 2019, just volunteering for the campaign, 2020, getting him on the podcast. Uh, so that was a nice little like life check mark. Uh, and I have to uh, tip of the hat to you, Ryan, for actually getting out there and, and scheduling that with him. Hey, so that was awesome. That. And that, that was all because of, I think the bankless community is because we actually have people that listen to the show and watch the show. And so we are getting like large, you know, politicians with a following to come on the show. We are getting like 
lots of different names who would never have previously known that David and I existed or cared about crypto to come on the show. So it's all thanks to you guys as well. And uh, yeah, what an exciting episode, man. Big milestone for us and uh, fantastic episode too. So I, I feel like we've shilled it enough, guys. Uh, if you're a premium member, you can listen to it now. If not, on Monday, the episode drops. And um, let's just say Yang has some good things to say about crypto. And we might have a, a politician in our camp to help us fight this fight, which is what we've been wanting for. I don't care if it comes from the right or the left, right? Crypto, If remember what we said last time? If we get them to adopt crypto protocols, then they adopt crypto values. So we win in the end. And that's what the mission is, to get them to adopt crypto protocols. 100%. There's that line about, like, don't meet your heroes in the sense that, like, you know, your hero, you have some vision about who your heroes are in your head. And then when you meet them, you realize that that's not actually who they are. to it, yeah. Yeah, that was not true about Andrew Yang. He, (laughs) he He is the guy that he advertises himself to be. Yep. Meet your heroes. Have podcasts with your heroes whenever have good, possible. Just overall, have Fun. good heroes. Have good vibes with your heroes. Have good vibes with your with your good heroes. Yeah. <laughs> Economic vibes with your heroes. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> I don't know where this is going next. But. Ryan, what are you excited about? Uh, Hester Purse. I mean, she crushed it. And you know, we we already went over kind of the speech, and um, she quoted Bankless, which was which was I think huge for us. And uh, you know, another great thing that happened this week. And I think for me, it was just another reminder. We have. So often we kind of paint um, regulators as kind of like, oh, that, you know, the evil regulators, like, you know, we are the the mannequins, they are the puppeteers, they just, you know, pull the strings. And no, these are people, like these are real human beings. These, these are people, they're just like us, okay? Except they're regulators. Many of them are caught inside of the system, okay? And uh, they're not machines. I mean, this goes back to like, what are we fighting for at the end of the day? We're fighting for hearts and minds. We're fighting to convince people in government that crypto is a valuable thing and that it matters and that it's good for the country and that it's good for the world and that it's good for our fellow citizens. And so, I mean, that's just a reminder to me. I think that's just uh, that's just huge. Um, she quoted us from a weekly roll-up is, is really cool. And I think just to humanize the, the people in government, I mean, is, uh, is an important thing for us to do because it allows us to focus on our mission. And that mission is, always was, and it will continue to be a battle for hearts and minds. If we win the hearts and minds, we cannot lose this crypto revolution, this crypto battle. Uh, if we do lose, it's because we haven't convinced enough people. It's because crypto hasn't done enough good in the world to make them believe in our narrative. And um, yeah, that was just a reminder for me. So cool thing. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> it, it, no, it is. It is very cool. And, and you talk about how it's important to humanize these regulators because they're humans too. And I think one of the cool things about Hester Purse's uh, speech is that she was trying to humanize crypto people, right? Yes. They're, they're not shadowy yes. super coders, Elizabeth Warren. Like, I'm just a guy. Like, I'm kind of, I feel like a kid sometimes. Like, stop calling me a shadowy super coder. Like, that's mean. I don't like it. It'd be awesome, though. Are you going to dress like that for Halloween? Shadowy super coder? Uh, I'm going to dress like my CryptoPunk. Oh, really? Oh, that's right. Spoiler. Is that happening? God, I got to get together my... uh, Yeah, because you can't be a turtle, can you? Hey. Wait, is, that, nin- is that Derek? Nin- ninja Are Turtle? Is that, is that where you're going to be? Am I, am I just creating your <laughs> thinking yet. of your Halloween costume right I now for you? I might try to resemble my, my, that means I'm smoking a cigarette. My, you know, I have a hat on. What you else is my smoke, turtle? You don't smoke yeah. cigarettes. No, I, if I want to be like my turtle, I do, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, let's get to the meme of the week. What meme is the, the meme of the week? What are we looking at here? 
Let's see it, Ryan. Right click save. At right MoMA. click savers. Yeah. <laughs> so people who are taking pictures of art at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And uh, this reminds me of uh, some one of my friends that I saw on my Instagram story who was taking a picture of a Fidenza at the Texas um, Fiden uh, Art Blocks conference. I, and so I just sent her a message like, you are literally right-click saving a picture of a right-click save. <laughs> just go <laughs> download the Fidenza. Yeah. <laughs> it gets very meta, but look, this is uh, this is human culture, right? Yep. You know, mm -hmm. this is what we do. We take pictures of things. It, it's a good example though, just because you took a picture of that, um, uh, is that Van Gogh? Yeah, on the, Star, Star Nights. Nights. yeah. Mm -hmm. Just just because you took a picture of Starry Nights doesn't mean you actually own Starry Nights, right. okay? Right. Like, it doesn't work like that. And everyone in the museum knows that is the case. Right. And I think they're, you know, right-click saving is dead. We've talked about that before, but like, mm -hmm. it's obviously true in NFTs as well. Um, that's it, man, wrapping that's up. It. ETH is risky, DeFi is risky, Bitcoin is risky. You could lose what you put in. None of this has been financial advice. But we are headed west. We are on the journey. Let me quote Hester Peirce now from her speech. Uh, this is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.